Section 33 of The Perfect World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mrs. L. Sid. The Perfect World by Ellis Grimsour, Section 33. The Triumph of Akawan. The populace of Hermori were wildly excited, for the time had come when their princess, the Ipsororca of all Kimar, was to wed. Every place was full, the streets were thronged with visitors, for people had come from all parts of Jupiter to witness the long ceremonies and jubilations that preceded the actual wedding. Parties came from the warmth of Zor, from the heat of Pela, from the temperate breezes of the Isles of Kelo. Every dwelling house in Hermori was full, every public guest house had used every available space for their overflowing guests. The streets were gaily decorated, the trees were adorned with colored lights, and across the wide boulevards silken flags were hung. There were festoons of flowers and leaves everywhere. Every window was bright with silken rugs. The whole scene was gay and brilliant. The first ceremony of interest was the admittance of Alan into the bosom of the Rorcas family. In a wonderful golden robe, Alan stood at the foot of the Rorcas throne in the great white throne room in the palace. The whole apartment was thronged with guests, and by the Rorcas' side sat the princess, she had on her face a grave, sweet smile, and in her court robes of blue and gold she made a regal figure. A major-domo handed the Rorca a golden fillet of beautiful workmanship studded with diamonds. This was placed on Alan's head by the Rorca himself, who said, O oh, Alan, known henceforward by the royal prefix of Ak, I salute thee. Thou hast taken the oath of allegiance to me, your Rorca. Thy fidelity and love thou hast offered me. I salute thee, O Ak Allen. And he took him by both hands and kissed him on either cheek and raised him to the topmost step of the throne. Then Allen faced the people. Behold him, said the Rorca. Ak Allen, a noble of the house of Pluholz, acclaim him as your own, for he is indeed a prince of the house of your Rorca. How the people cheered! With one accord they shouted and surged forward to the foot of the throne and stretched out their hands to the newly made prince. Alan was delighted with his reception and had an individual word to say to nearly everyone who came near him. The story of his adventure for Clory had been widely told. Colmervan's treachery was known, and everyone welcomed the newcomer royally. But this was only the beginning. Ak Alan had to become a Joe of the outer shelter and to receive the blue ribbon of his office. The golden circle of unity of Kimar was placed on his finger, the star of joy, the order of hope. All these ceremonies took their time, but they were all picturesque and interesting. Many times had he looked upon Clory, but never had an opportunity been given to him to speak with her alone. But at his ardent gaze, the shy color would mount her cheeks, and her eyes would drop in sweet embarrassment. Wazikeshta had been appointed to the royal household of Akalan, and was delighted to have the opportunity to remain by the side of the friend he had made. Persaf, the Jakak, and Mirasu, the Jackalata, had sent handsome presents to Alan and Clory, and had expressed their sorrow when Desmond had announced his intention of settling down in her mori. "'We want to be near Alan,' explained Sir John. "'We shall miss you, of course. We are grateful for your kindness to us all, since we arrive so strangely in your land. But we should miss the society of our kinsmen. We must stay near him.' "'We understand,' said Persoff. But visit us, my friends, and allow us to visit you. Your friendship is dear to us. Your esteem we prize. 
several orders had been offered sir john but he stuck to his prefix throughout my father earned it he explained i honor him by using it please allow me to keep it and the rorca gave his permission during all this time masters had scarcely left sir john's side a devoted friend a loyal servant he remained always at hand in case the old man needed him and when Allen had been appointed Ack of the House of Pluholz, Masters received the shock of his life. Suddenly the major-domo cried out, And I command Masters of the household of Sir John to kneel at the foot of the Rorca's throne. Masters turned dead white and looked appealingly at Sir John. Go forward, my friend, said Sir John, and Masters obeyed him. The Rorca rose and touched him lightly with the silver staff of office of a waz. I promote thee henceforward, Waz, to the house of Sir John. Waz Masters shalt thou be with all that pertains thereto. Except this staff, Waz Masters, for thou art a faithful friend. Masters was unable to express his gratitude. The honor was so unexpected that it rendered him speechless. But a few moments later, Alan smiled as he saw him talking earnestly with Zilia, a woman of Yakeshta's. And as Alan watched the luminous eyes that smiled at Masters, watched the parted lips and the color that came and went in the olive-tinted cheeks of the beautiful Kimarnian, he foresaw, and foresaw truly, that Masters would soon forsake the lonely role of bachelor, and another love-match would be made in Kimar, the land of all good. Then came the feasts and banquets, a pageant and procession through the streets of Humori. Jewers gaily decorated, fancifully costumed bands, dancing children dressed like wood-nymphs, fair-headed, slim youths with pipes like the pipes of Pan, woodland fairies, ladies in court attire, all took part in this wonderful procession. And Alan sat on a balcony in the royal palace and watched it, but half the time his eyes were feasting on the features of his bride of the morrow. Occasionally, under the cover of the cheers in the darkness, his hand would stray out, and for a moment clasp hers in the darkness. But no chance had he of speaking with her alone, and her nearness maddened him with passionate longings. He longed to be alone with her, away in the woods and fields, along the seashore, just they two together, communing with nature in all her glory. "'May I not speak to Clory a moment alone?' he begged earnestly. The Rorca smiled. "'In your world, perhaps, it would be allowed, but I cannot sanction it. Today she belongs to me, to the people. Tomorrow she will be yours forever. It is custom, my son.' But tomorrow, he stopped and looked shrewdly at Alan, I have been converted to your honeymoon. It is a strange idea to us of Kimar, but a beautiful one, and will, I think, prove popular with my countrymen. Tomorrow you take her away, alone. No duenna's guiding eye will follow you. The House of Roses in the Waiyo Forest is at your disposal. It is ready, prepared. I have given way on many points, my son, but on this one I am firm. You cannot speak alone to Clory tonight. Now, I wish to speak to Sir John. Alan bowed his head and moved away, so that his uncle could take his place. He was further away from his love, but sat in the shadow and gloried in her as the light shone brightly on her profile. Sir John, said the Rorca, I have heard much about your wonderful airship that carried you safely to our world. Would you be prepared to build another as like it as possible? I will place men, material, and means at your disposal. You need want for nothing, and I should esteem it a personal favor if you would at least consider my proposal. Sir John's eyes shone. Oh, Rorca, you have put new life into me by your suggestion. I felt I was growing old, but my heart is still young. 
to be of use in your world will make my last years happy. To feel I am not wasting my time will strengthen my life. Masters and I were planning another Argenta on paper only today. He has been examining the metal you use, and he says it is even lighter and stronger than our aluminum. My whole time is at your disposal, and Masters is as well. Speak for yourself, Sir John, smiled the Rorca. But unless I am much mistaken, Zillia will have more to say about Waz Masters' affairs than you have dreamt of. Zillia, repeated Sir John, looking puzzled. Look behind you, said the Rorca. In the room behind were two figures, masters and a woman. The woman was delicately beautiful, darker than most Gimarnian women, with blue-black hair and flashing eyes. So he has found a mate, said Sir John softly. I never thought of masters in marriage. He seemed too mature. In our world, he would have been called middle-aged. He has seen forty in three summers. But Zillia is mature, said the Rorca. She looks a girl, but although her soul is young, she and Masters are not far apart in years. You will not object to the match? Nay, I have a great opinion of Waz Masters, but I like not his name. He touched a bell. Waz Masters and the Lady Zillia. I desire them here at once. The girl bowed, and in a moment the two were standing before him. My friend, said the Rorca kindly, I like not your name. Waz Masters sounds crude and harsh. In our language, we have a far softer word that means master. Henceforward shall you be known by that. Waz Emo, for now and ever. Masters remained silent. He was embarrassed and hardly knew what to do. So you are going to mate with Zillia? said the Rorca. Zillia bent on one knee, her hands extended in supplication. O oh, Rorca, most noble, have I thy permission? Him have I promised to wed, if I have thy permission, for I love this stranger dearly. My consent was given long ago. I have watched your play with pleasure, my child. Tell Wajikesta he can give you the use of an airbird for your... your honeymoon. Oh, how can I thank you? That is enough. See, the procession has resumed. How beautiful are the flowers, the silks! And taking these words as their dismissal, they bent on one knee and then passed from the balcony to the room beyond. The last vehicle had passed, the last burst of music had died away, night fell. But one more ceremony remained to conclude the time of rejoicing, the wedding on the morrow. Alan woke early on the morning of his wedding day. His personal attendant had placed all his wedding clothes ready for him, and he donned the golden robe and swung from his shoulders the blue velvet cloak. It was lined with gold and caught up at one corner with a beautiful jeweled buckle. His fillet of gold was on his head, and as he looked at himself in the long glass, he saw the romantic robes fade away, leaving in their place a worn and shabby, but nevertheless very comfortable golf jacket. The shadowy figure was carrying a bag over his shoulder. Golf clubs. Alan sighed. It was a very long time since he had teed up, and with a mighty drive seen a little white ball sent skimming along at a terrific pace. He could see the ascent to the approach of his favorite green, the green itself smooth and velvety, resting in the little hollow below. Well, he would get his game of golf on Jupiter. He would plan a course, have clubs made, and he and Clory would... No, he didn't regret giving up the old and ugly garments of the earth. He regretted nothing. He wouldn't have altered his fate if it had been in his power to do so. Life held nothing for him but Clory. 
life and love were before him, and he felt fitted for and happy in the new world. His golden, sandal-like boots were on. The ring for glory was in his satchel purse. The crown of wifehood, with which he would presently crown her, was in Waikeshta's possession. The Waz also had taken care of the gifts, which according to the rites of the temple he must present to his wife. The coins, to represent that he endowed her with his wealth. The loaf, divided in two, to denote that she would share in everything. The fresh-cut flowers, a symbol of the joys they would find in each other. And lastly, the basket of fruits that were to be laid on the altar and offered as a burnt offering to Midzer the Mighty. As they were reduced to ashes, the high priest would waft them to the four winds of heaven, and the nuptial pair would swear to love each other until such time arrived as the burnt fruits regained their virgin freshness. A poetical way of vowing their eternity fidelity to each other. Wazikeshta entered. He was plainly nervous at the thought of the part he was to play in the day's ceremony. The time has come, my Alan. Your bejour awaits you. I am ready, Alan smiled at the Waz. I don't know how I should get on without you today. The streets were thronged with people. Alan sat alone in the state bejour, which drove slowly down the decorated streets, and immediately in front of the bridegroom's equipage rode Waikeshta on a magnificent white collie. Sixteen Kimarnians, appointed by the Rorka for his personal staff, rode behind him. Sir John and Desmond were already in the temple. A beautiful blue carpet spread from the door to the street, and the whole way was lined with flowers. Slowly, Alan walked up the flowered aisle and took his place at the altar rails. The organ was playing softly. Suddenly, it burst out into the Ipsor Rorka's personal air. The bride had arrived. On the arm of the Rorka, she walked up the long aisle. Her bridal gown of blue brought out the color of her eyes. Upon her hair was draped a thin veil of gold, and her long train was carried by little sturdy John Allen. At the altar rails they stopped, and the high priest demanded, Who giveth permission that this woman shall leave her home and her people, and live in peace with the mate of her choice? I do, said the Rorka. You are convinced that happiness and joy will be the woman's lot? I am. Thanks be to Mitzer, I am content. Thereupon the Rorka took his seat upon his throne, and the ceremony commenced. Mavis, who had followed the bridal procession, now took her place on Clory's left to assist the bride. It was a beautiful ceremony, and the incense, the priest's vestments, the music, all helped to make it awe-inspiring and impressive. The gifts were offered. Clory accepted them. The moment was almost at hand that would make them one. Alan was repeating softly after the priest. May this ring, with which I encircle thy finger, be a lasting proof of the unity of our affection. May the circlet with which I crown thee prove that I honor thee as my loved one, and install thee as queen of my house. And Clory answered softly, I accept this ring, and from my finger it shall never slip. I accept the crown that thou offerest me, and in return I pray Mitzer the Mighty that I may rule my household wisely and well. Then came the vows of love and fidelity. Each repeated the words with hands clasped. Before Mitzer the Mighty, the great white glory, I promise to let not come between my chosen spouse and me. I promise to love him, her, and honor him, her, share his, her, troubles, and smooth away his, her, griefs. Lastly, I ask Mitzer, the tower of strength, to crown us both with the glory of our union. Then, kneeling, the high priest blessed them. 
May Mitzer, the great white glory, bless you both, and keep you both in the paths of righteousness. May he make thee, O Akalan, a tender husband, and thee, Clory, a loving wife. Thy vows are made. Kneel and pray while the sacrificial fires are lighted, and the dust of thy offering is thrown to the winds. Hand in hand the newly married pair knelt. Into a tiny tabernacle the offering of fruits was placed, the doors closed upon it. A second passed, and by the aid of etheric heat there was nothing left but a little powdery dust. Slowly the priests and acolytes walked down the aisle, the bridal pair following. With prayers and exhortations the dust was scattered, and wafted out of sight by the breeze. The ceremony was over. A hymn of joy was sung, and Alan and Clory were led to their bjor that was waiting. They drove together in the open bjor, and Clory could not speak. Her heart was too full of emotion. The excitement, the cheering, the crowds tired her, and yet there was still a reception to get through. Not a word had she spoken to her newly made husband, but as they alighted, he whispered, "'You don't regret, my darling?' She gave him a quick, shy glance, but it satisfied him. They had to wait for the congratulations of the intimate friends and guests, but at last Mavis whispered, Come, dear, it is time for you to change into your other frock. Quietly the bride left the reception and changed into her other gown. Tenderly she bade her father goodbye. Goodbye, my little one, he murmured. Mitzer, take care of you. In forty kaimos I shall come for you. Be happy in your new life. Goodbye, my father. Goodbye. You will find everything in readiness at the House of Roses, said Wazikeshta. There were renewed cheers, the band played, and the comfortable equipage drove off, burying the happiest couple in all Kimar. My darling, murmured Alan when they were at last outside the town and running swiftly through quiet country roads. Are you sure you won't regret this day? Never, my Alan she replied, her eyes smiling as she nestled close to her husband. But, Alan, I think I am a little frightened all the same. For answer, he crushed her in his arms and rained passionate kisses on her unresisting lips, and it sufficed her. She was content. End of section 33